Today we have an opportunity to continue our series in the Gospel of John, and we are nearing the end of of this series and and the story that John tells. John is one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples, uh, and he sat down uh, late in his life to write an account of everything he experienced with Jesus uh, as he walked from town to town, as Jesus taught, as he watched Jesus heal people even raise people from the dead as he watched the Roman authorities uh, or the Jewish authorities arrest Jesus and eventually saw him crucified on a cross. And then today he begins to witness resurrection power. So earlier this week, I had the opportunity to go up to a cabin near Yakima. I took a a two-day Sabbath, which is really amazing for me to get away by myself for two days and, uh, and it's pretty quiet out there, as you can imagine, when I go by myself. But I take my dog with me, and she's a little rambunctious. Uh, but it's just me and her. And at one point, I decided to, to grill up some chicken for the week. And so I was outside, and I was grilling chicken, totally lost in my own uh, thoughts, in my own little world. And uh, the dog brought uh, her ball out there, so every now and then I'll turn and I throw the ball and the dog goes and gets the ball. Well, right in the middle of grilling the chicken, I turn around to throw the ball and less than 15 feet away are, are two deer standing there just looking at me. And I have no idea how long they were standing there looking at me. It totally caught me off guard. It's just like they appeared. And I wasn't expecting it, and so I didn't see them. And I was so surprised, pardon my uh, unprofessional recording here, but the little deer came closer, was interested in playing with the dog. I think that deer wants to learn to play fetch. That needs yeah. to be one of our goals on Sabbath. Yeah. One of our goals? Yes. I don't know yeah. how to make that happen. The Sabbath goal. Uh. But isn't, it was such a, uh, an enlightening experience for me because I don't know. By the time I got this out, by the way, to my phone out to record, they'd already been there for like 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, they're not leaving. I should get my phone out and record. I had no idea they were there because I wasn't expecting them because I wasn't looking for them. But then when I turned around, my eyes were open. I was able to see. So last week, a tomb was found empty, but this week, Jesus begins to uh, appear to his disciples. We're going to look at three different uh, counts, three different stories that John tells of uh, Jesus appearing to some of his closest followers. And like Sarah's example there, um, they're not fully expecting it. So there's shock and there's excitement and all of these things. We'll begin in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So Jesus' first appearance is to Mary Magdalene. Who is this Mary Magdalene? She was a woman who was healed um, by Jesus, and we see that earlier on in the Gospels. And she was a follower of Jesus. She was a disciple of Jesus, and she was among the group that that traveled with Jesus. And so she's heard him teach. She's heard him speak. She's seen him do miracles. She's experienced the miracles as Jesus healed her. And she was one. One of the women who were present at his uh, trial, at his crucifixion, and now she's the first person that Jesus appears to. And so she had left, she had seen him buried, and then she had gone um, home for Sabbath, and she'd come back, and she was one of the ones who realized that his body was no longer there, so she went and told the disciples, and now in the story we find her standing outside the tomb weeping, overcome by emotion. The grief and exhaustion must have been palpable at that time. And as she's weeping, she sees two angels, two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laying. And they ask her, why are you crying? And as if in answer uh, to her response, which was, I think, where's the body? Like someone might have taken the body. Someone appears. Jesus appears in her presence and asks her the same question. Why are you crying? It seems a curious question to me uh, because the reasons are obvious. Uh, but Jesus is baiting her into this profound experience, right? Uh, why are you crying? Jesus knows the whole story, and yet she doesn't in this moment. So she stands there in tears, in fear, confused, not knowing exactly what's developing. And in fact, in this initial encounter, in the first moments, unable even to recognize Jesus in her grief. And when he says her name, Mary, her eyes are open. Can you imagine this moment after all the grief, after all they've experienced with Jesus to witness him dead and now to be confused and angry because someone's stolen his body to look up and to see him alive, breathing, speaking her name, Mary. And she rejoices in that moment. There's an interesting exchange here between Jesus and Mary. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. It's like, what an interesting response. This word ascend means to go up to, and it's used frequently in the Gospels. And it's used most often to describe a leg of a journey. So they went up to Jerusalem or they went up into the boat, or they went up to the temple. It's describing a leg of a journey. And so Jesus is saying here to her, don't hold on to me. I haven't left yet, but instead, I have something that I want you to do. Instead, go deliver this message. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Go tell people that I am alive, 
Go tell people that my journey will continue, that I'm going up to the Father. The language here is really interesting. As Jesus says to her, I'm going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And I love the inclusivity of Jesus there. This is after Jesus has has inaugurated the kingdom of God, after his death, after his resurrection, and we are a community now. And so Jesus uses uses this language, your father, my father, there's an us now that it's not just about Jesus, but it's about the family of God that we are brothers and sisters with Jesus as well. I noticed that in our worship time this morning, uh, Sally intentionally changing some of the lyrics from me to us, right? Uh, this this recognition that, uh, yes, I individually am invited to know hope in Jesus, but we together are invited to know the more full concept of hope in the context of the church. I love this. Uh, I love this first appearance story. Again, it begins with the women, which is really interesting to me. Uh, I think it teaches us a lot about Jesus and his outlook in the world. You know, there's a lot of amazing ways Jesus could have done his first appearance after raising from the dead. Like, in my head, I'm imagining him going back to Herod's uh, courtyard there where he was first tried. And all the Israelite leaders that are shouting, crucify him, they're there with Herod. And Jesus appears in the midst of him, right? And he says, you can't stop me or something. I don't know. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. Now that would be an appearance story, right? Or I imagine him showing up in the temple at a a really busy time and stepping up onto the little platform to, to take center stage and all eyes turn to a risen Savior. That's an appearance story. And yet that's not what Jesus does. And I'm so curious about that. I'm so fascinated by that. Jesus shows up to one of his disciples, one of his closest followers, and a woman who will now be the bearer of this good news to bring back to the disciples. I think we learn something about the nature of Jesus. We learn something about his worldview as we witness these sorts of interactions. The story continues in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so the disciples get to have this moment where they first witness with their own eyes Jesus risen from the dead. It says they were overjoyed when they saw him quite naturally. What's interesting is the overjoy comes immediately after the fear. And what's so curious to me is that they're fearful of the Jewish leaders. After all, it was Rome that killed Jesus, uh, but 
at the persuasion of these Jewish leaders. It's fascinating to me to see Jesus' closest followers, those that will establish the church and do incredibly powerful works for the remainders of their lives and launch a movement that's gone around the world and transformed the world. Uh, These people are here huddled in a corner, huddled in a room, fearful of what the Jewish leaders might do to them. And in the middle of their fear, as Jesus appears, he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, this is uh, this was at the time and still is in many places in the world a common greeting. So as you would greet someone, you would say, peace be with you, and they would uh, say the, the response, which is, and also with you, or peace be with you also. I grew up in Guinea, West Africa, in a predominantly Muslim community. And so there was a little bit of Arabic that was spoken and the same greeting was used, um, is still used there. Someone would say, Salam Aleikum, and the other person would respond, Maleku Salam. And, and again, peace be with you, your peace. And then, and the other respond, peace be with you as well. And so it was typical for Jesus, um, to greet them in this way. But notice in here, he's going to say it twice this greeting. And I think it's because it's a lot more than just a simple hello. It's a lot more than a simple greeting. Just a few chapters back in John, Jesus promised the disciples the Holy Spirit, and he predicted his death, and he predicted his resurrection. And in chapter 16, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think Jesus greets them with this greeting because of what God has accomplished on the cross through Jesus, because of what God has accomplished in the resurrection, that there is peace now. There, there is a pathway to wholeness, to well-being, to restoration, and to reconciliation. It's curious to me that Jesus appears with wounds. He has wounds in his hands and wounds in his side and wounds in his feet. Uh, Theologians over the years have done many things with this, trying to figure it out. But John's really specific about drawing out this idea that he appeared with his wounds. And while I haven't come to conclusion on maybe the central theme and reason for this, uh, I see a lot of depth and, and, uh, and, and meaning to Jesus showing up with wounds. First of all, it speaks to a bodily resurrection, that he came in physical form. He's not a spirit appearing to them, but instead that Jesus has risen from the dead in the the body that he had. He, he's, he doesn't have a new body, but instead risen in his own body. Uh, Peter, later on in the New Testament, will speak of, uh, by his wounds we are healed. And so these wounds that Jesus appears with are a physical representation and reminder to his followers that I was wounded for your healing, for your sake. And finally, it, it reflects who Jesus is, the wounded healer the one that would take on the uh, the suffering for the world, the wounded healer. Henry Nouwen writes a book by that title, The Wounded Healer, and uh, it's an in- interesting shift. He, he's asking, how do, we, uh, how do we minister in a uh, contemporary world? What, is, what does it look like? And he takes a story of Jesus who still bears his wounds but is healing the world, and then he kind of turns it towards us. At one point he says, the main question is not 
not how can we hide our wounds so that you don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? And we see Jesus doing that uh, in, in this text that we're in today. He shows up wounds and all to speak peace into the life of fear. And as he speaks peace, he also says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And as he's sending his disciples, he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I just love this imagery. He breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is the same word that is used for breath. Uh, for wind, for breeze. And it reminds me of the garden when God creates Adam in the dust and then breathes life into Adam. The spirit of God makes Adam, brings Adam to life. And then I'm also thinking about the connection to peace. So we have the Holy Spirit and, and the connection to peace. Back in John 14, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he says, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you all things, everything that I've said, and peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And I love the progression that we see. So we see Jesus' life and teaching, and then we see a sacrifice on the cross, and Jesus says, it is finished. And then the resurrection moment, he is alive. And then the Holy Spirit and peace. All in that progression, this is what God has been doing, and it is coming to fruition. The story continues in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, uh, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love the story of Thomas. I love the story of Thomas because I can really relate to Thomas. And and I wonder if many of us can relate to Thomas, if maybe we're even in the same position as Thomas. And again, all are welcome wherever you're at on your faith journey with whatever questions and doubts and confusion you bring. We just want you to know that you are welcome here. And we see this in the story of Thomas. There's been a lot of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, people telling him, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. But Thomas hadn't seen Jesus for himself, and he wanted that empirical proof. He wanted to be able to touch Jesus and really experience Jesus for himself, not relying on what others had told him. And I love how gracious Jesus is with Thomas. He's so gracious, and he meets Thomas where Thomas is at. It does make me chuckle, though, 
that Jesus made him wait a full week. <laughs> you know? And I don't think it's any sort of punishment for Thomas. On the contrary, I think, um, I think Jesus knew that that would make Thomas's faith stronger. That really wrestling with what he believed um, and why he believed what he believed in the long run would make his faith stronger. And I wonder if sometimes we shy away from that. Um, we don't want to wrestle. But I think that's a really good thing for us, to wrestle with what we believe and why this process of questioning and analyzing, process of examining and asking questions, it, it grows our awareness of ourselves like what it is that we believe exactly and why, like what's caused us to come to those conclusions, and then how our, our beliefs um, impact our, our daily living. Like how do we actually operate? And is that based on what we believe or what we think we believe? This wrestling can also grow our awareness of God. Who is God? What does it look like to follow God? What's the nature of God? And so this genuine, I see in, in Thomas a genuine, honest, open kind of wrestling with faith that I think is good. And so for, for myself and for, for all of us, uh, my prayer is that we would, we would wrestle with our beliefs in this way and we would bring that to God before God and may the Holy Spirit within us lead us to truth and transformation. The words of Jesus, stop doubting and believe, he says to Thomas. You know, Thomas is in a very fortunate position in that he gets to sit in that room and physically experience Jesus. And so Jesus speaks to this challenge. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, the very people Jesus speaks about to Thomas. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's you and me that he's speaking of in that moment. It's Christians throughout the world today, thousands of years later, who continue to put faith in Jesus. You've heard us use the language of belong, believe, become, and in that order. And as a church, we're pretty good at doing the belonging thing, creating community and inviting a safe space for people to explore Jesus. Now, the believe is the next step in that journey, and we are followers of Jesus, and it is our prayer and the commitment of our life to help people come to belief in Jesus. And, and I'm curious, what would it look like in our lives if we were to believe? Like, what would be the immediate effect on your life if you were to choose to believe? And I pose this question not just to those of us that are still kind of on the fence. I pose this question to those of us that have been Christians for 40 or, and more years. Like, what would it mean in life if in this moment I, I, I could make that declaration that Peter does, my Lord and my God, that, that Thomas does, my Lord Oh my God, if I, if I truly came to a place of belief, understand this changes everything. My outlook on the world, the interactions I have with people as I begin to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, as I accept him as my Lord and accept his ways in my life, belief begins to change everything. And then the third in there, of course, is become. And this speaks of the transformational work of the Holy Spirit that has already begun in us, but is an ongoing work that we might become more like Jesus. So, Jesus' words, stop 
doubting, and believe. And the very next words, actually, in the Gospel of John, if you, if you look down a little bit further in your Bible, uh, is John telling us, I took the time to write this down for this purpose, so that you would believe and find life in the name of Jesus. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail on that section yet. Uh, we're going to say that, and we're going we're gonna to close out this series uh, with John's words there here in a few weeks. So as we look at uh, most of of chapter 20 today, we see three appearances of Jesus. And these are the first three among many, many appearances of Jesus before he ascends to the Father. We see Mary who recognized Jesus when he said her name. I love that. When, When he said her name, she knew it was him. We see the disciples here who, who are hiding in fear and Jesus appears and he replaces their fear with peace and joy as he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. And then we read about Thomas who's wrestling with what he believes, wrestling with his unbelief until Jesus graciously met him where he was at and then propelled him on his journey to belief. So today we're invited to consider the witness of John, John's story of Jesus, um, that he experienced a risen Savior. But I'd like to turn that idea uh, back to us today as well. What evidence have you seen in life of a risen Savior? I mean, for some of it's it's been miraculous things like a healing and an opportunity for new life found in Jesus, right? Uh, for many of us, it's been really simple things that often go unnoticed, like a smile from a stranger uh, or, or the sun on our face on a cool day, right? I, I mean, there's so many ways we get to experience God at work in the world around us. I, I had an experience uh, recently that uh, that was really simple in nature and, and really beautiful for me. Uh, I was away on a, a Sabbath trip. Um, we're talking a lot about Sabbath, and maybe that's because uh, during summer we have to take a break of that, and we're just getting back to it. Yay. And I've got to say, it is life-giving and remarkable. I'm sitting on a bench uh, uh, near a campground overlooking the Yakima, the Yakima River um, up in the canyon north of Yakima there, and, uh, and I'm listening uh, to a book. Um, in fact, it's uh, David Binner's book, Opening to God, that, that we'll be studying soon. And, uh, and God met me there. I didn't have the Thomas experience. Jesus didn't in physical form sit next to me on a bench. But his promise of the Holy Spirit that I experienced in that moment, just sitting and prayerfully looking out over creation, uh, is absolutely remarkable. And I wonder if for each of us, like, how is Jesus meeting us in life? When's the last time you, you had that moment where you realized God, you are good, and thank you for your presence in my life. Because I believe this, in the good times and the bad times, God has not abandoned us. We are not alone. But quite often, it's our inability uh, or unintentionality in not turning our attention to God who walks with us in the everyday moments of life. You know, there have been times in my life when I've prayed, God, if you could just, like, appear right here, if I could just like have a face-to-face conversation with you, uh, that would just be great. Um, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, but the more I reflect on that, the more thankful I am to live in this time, 
to live in this part of the God narrative in which the, the Holy Spirit resides within us. Because though the physical body of Jesus may not be right here sharing a meal with us, the presence of God is. The Spirit of God is. And we can experience the risen Savior through the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ within us. You know, in one sense, we're closer to Jesus now because we are the temple. We don't have to go to a temple to meet with God, but rather God is right here with us. And the question is, will we open ourselves up to the Spirit? Will we consent to the work of God in our life? Will we lean into God and learn? Will we yield? Will we listen? Will we follow and when we do, we experience the risen Savior. Um, I'm going to tell another story about Sabbath because that's that's been our theme today. But um, one one moment this last week that really stands out to me was when um, I was at the cabin, um, and I had had a really busy, uh, chaotic week leading up to that. And so I was feeling very restless. Nothing was wrong, but I was just feeling really wound up and restless. And there was one point when I was sitting outside, I was reminded to breathe and reminded how sometimes physically we take shallow breaths and we, we try to do what we need to do with these really shallow breaths. And I was reminded, breathe deeply. And then, the, the, I believe it was the Spirit, made this connection in my mind. I am the breath. That the Spirit is the breath of God within us. The breath of God that is the source of our life, that is the source of our peace. That I can choose to take these shallow breaths and, and pretend like I have some semblance of control in my life. Or I can breathe deeply from the Spirit and relinquish control to divine love. My prayer for us today is that we may be people that truly listen to the Spirit, that truly turn towards what God is doing and yield to the Holy Spirit. So today we will look at stories of Jesus in bodily form appearing amongst his followers. Jesus, shortly before his crucifixion, put into practice um, what we call communion or Eucharist or Lord's Supper. And this is a way that as a church, we might be reminded of Christ's presence among us, right? A bread that represents his body that was broken on the cross and a juice that represents his blood that was poured out. Uh, communion is an invitation to recognize Christ among us in this bread and this, uh, and this fruit of the vine that represents Jesus' body and blood. So today we're going to close service with that. Uh, Christ among us is the message today. It is the theme. He appeared to his disciples and he continues to show up in the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today we show up to be present with the body and the blood of Christ, to remember him in community as we share in communion.